Hey, everybody, welcome to week three of our series, uh, The Bible for Grownups. And we've all had those moments of miscommunication. A lot of what we've been talking about when it comes to the Bible has been about how oftentimes even Christians really misinterpret the Bible, and it's hard. And so today we're going to jump right in, and I want to talk to you today about one of the big reasons in my opinion, that I think we misunderstand the Bible. Um, and that is because we start opening it, and I did this too for a long time in my life. You just open it up and you're like, well, where am I going to start? Because where do you start any other type of book? Beginning. At the beginning, yeah. So you open it up and you start perusing through Genesis, and that's kind of interesting, mildly controversial. What does it all mean? You start reading and you're trying to absorb everything that's happening in the story. Okay, and you have a lot happening in the first four-ish chapters of the book. Okay, you have eaten the wrong fruit, you have murder, you have happiness, you have suffering. It is dramatic. And then like one and a half chapters later, you're into God wiping off everybody on the face of the planet with a giant flood. And that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot going on. And it's a lot because we're not used to that. We're not used to reading a few pages in and then trying to get to know some characters and trying to relationally connect with the characters in the story and get the setting and get the genre and get what's happening. And then immediately it shifts and you have to learn a whole new set of characters and a whole new set of setting and, and genre and all that kind of stuff. And if, if you're not, you know, didn't do super well in school in like literature, which I mean, come on, not a lot of us have. But, you know, you have genres, you have different ways of communicating things. So you might, in the Bible, run across poetry, and then within a few pages later, you're going to run into a narrative, uh, and then you may run into an allegory, which is like imagery to explain the point of something. And it's really difficult to know and navigate all those changes, but we go into it and we start absorbing it, trying to absorb it all. And unfortunately, as we try to absorb it, we have more and more questions, and we don't understand things. And, and we hit a road bump or two or three or four, and it kind of feels like a miscommunication. And before we know it, the fans are running, the shrimp's flying, we're getting hit in the face with shrimp, we're trying to figure out what's happening. And so it's just easier to close the book, put it back on the shelf, and walk away. Because there's just so much, and you're trying to understand how it all connects together. Because when we read stories in the 21st century, that's how we read it. We expect it in magazines and newspapers and online articles and books that it all makes sense. And it just kind of moves in a linear form forward. But that's not how this works. And a good reason why it doesn't is because that's not how they wrote stories thousands and thousands of years ago when this was, especially if you start at the beginning, actually written. And in fact, it probably wasn't written. It was probably stories that were told verbally and remembered verbally and transferred to other generations verbally. That's why they're a little shorter. And then you'd have another one and somebody else would memorize that other story and then they'd pass that down. And so it makes sense if all you're sharing is a story over a fire, but when you put it in a book and you put it on a binding and you fast forward to the 21st century, it's just overall super intimidating. And unfortunately, as grown-ups, we go into reading the Bible as we expect to read all things in 21st century literature. And that's not fair. It's actually not a good way to go about it. And so we've talked about ways in which to read it maybe a bit better and some things to realize a bit better. The first one we talked about in week one, just to recap, was this, that Christianity isn't based on something 
In other words, it's not based on the Bible. And the reason we know that is because Christianity uh, thrived, took off, was on fire for hundreds of years before what we even know as the Bible today started coming into existence. So for about 300 years, they didn't even have the Bible that we have now, yet Christianity was on fire. Why? Not because of something that they had, but because of the someone that they knew, they heard about, and they trusted, which was Jesus. And by extension, God. Christianity is based on the story of God, which is documented in the Bible. But like we talked about, the Bible is kind of like a passport, a passport that we have today. I brought my passport last week. And what does a passport do? You open up a passport and you open up my passport. It tells you some things about me. It tells you where I've been and what I've done. But is the passport me? Of course not. It's not a trick question. Of course not. The passport is not me. It tells you some things about me, but it is not me. And you don't have a relationship with a passport. You have a relationship with me. But as Christians, we get that confused and we start to think that we have a relationship with this instead of the God who is the reason for this. And that's a really important, important distinction to make. And if you want more information on that, go back to our website or on our app and watch week one. Week two, last week, we talked about this, that the Bible was written in another time, in another culture, and we need to honor that context. Context is everything we have to honor. That's why as grown-ups. When we grow up, the big defining part of a grown-up is we understand as grown-ups context. We understand what to say, when to say it, how to say it, because we can read the room. Kids, on the other hand, don't do a great job of reading the room. Fair. My oldest has come into this phase of saying to me, and I love it, don't get me wrong, as a dad, I love it, but she looks at me and she says, Dad, you're the best big daddy ever. <laughs> now, could I be offended? Sure, but I know what she means. She means that I'm tall and I'm bigger than she is and I'm the best big daddy ever. But here's what I wanna challenge you to do. Don't tell anybody I told you to do this, but you just do this. Is tomorrow when you go into work, you go into the office, you go into whatever you, know, you kind of do on Monday mornings, just go in and the first dad you see, because it's Father's Day weekend, you just go up to them and say, Jim, you're the best big daddy ever. <laughs> Just do that. And then report back to me how that goes. And I'd love to hear the conversation that you have to have with HR later. Okay? Why? Context. Because you know that contextually, it may be fine for your two-year-old to tell you that, but it's not fine for you to go to the workplace and do that. But what is so incredibly mind-boggling to me is that Christians will go around and say, no, 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 you have to read this literally, word for word. Don't give me that context stuff. That's um, irrelevant and ignorant. And I sit there and I say, yeah, but you contextualize all the time. If you didn't contextualize, people would call you a child, not a grown-up. So why in the world, if we apply context in every other aspect of our life, all the time, do we not try to seek out, understand, and hunger for the context that was when this Bible was written, which was over the span of millennia. And so it's hard, and you're never going to know it all, but we need to try, because otherwise we dishonor what this is and the story that it tells. Okay, so that was week two. Covered a lot so far. 
Today, really quickly, what I want to give you is one way to read the Bible that I've found lately to be really helpful, and I'm continuing to test this out. Um, and so I just want to run it by you, and you can think about and wonder and even try, that would be super awesome, try, test this out, if this is really helpful. And that is to read the Bible, to read it in themes, okay? And what I mean by that, a theme is like a topic or a person or a place, and you pick this theme, and a theme is something that is carried throughout the story, and you just read the Bible, and not that you don't pay attention to everything else going on, but you really focus in on understanding this one thing, and really wrapping your mind and your heart around this one thing. So in other words, you go and you open up that big intimidating book called the book of Genesis, and you read it in terms of theme. So I've already gone ahead and given you some themes that you could read throughout Genesis. And actually, most of these themes you can carry out throughout the whole biblical story. And here's a couple of examples of themes so you understand what I'm talking about. You could read through the theme of God. In other words, you read through the entire book of Genesis or the entire Bible, and you're just trying to understand the character, person, and idea of God. Or in Hebrew, Yahweh. You talk about blessings and curses. That happens a lot. Blessing, they're blessed, and then they're cursed. And they're blessed, and they're cursed. And they're blessed, and they're cursed. Read it through that lens. Trees, some of you know this. Oh, this right here, I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. You read through the Bible, the entire Bible, and try to understand and pay attention to when trees are mentioned. And you think, you're thinking right now to yourself. I know you are. You're like, what is he talking about? Has he gone off the deep end? I have not. I criticized the Bible for a long time in my life. And I had respect through seminary and as a pastor for the Bible. But this, I'm just telling you, this was a game changer for me. This is when I started to realize, oh my gosh. Not only was I a critic of the Bible, I was dishonoring how profound and amazing the biblical authors and the the stake and the pain that they went to to document how God could interact through certain ways. And I think, personally, I just think it's God's humor that he brings up the same idea over and over again and try to make a point that he really is in control, a subtle, subtle way of making it in control. I'm just telling you, just start reading about trees. Because you read through the Bible and you start paying attention to when there's trees and you're like, first question, why is there even trees? Why do they keep mentioning trees? Over and over again, you'll just start seeing trees everywhere. And I'm just telling you, trees are a symbol of when God and humanity come together towards the closest point of either breaking the relationship or the closest point they come to restoring the relationship. It's exceptionally powerful. Read about Adam and Eve and couples throughout the biblical story. This is a, a trend of Adam, other Adam and Eves like Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were uh, buried. Uh, if you actually look at the Hebrew, it was, they were buried at the place of two naked people. That's the place where they were buried, the place of two naked people. Why? Because they are a theme of Adam and Eve that's carried throughout the biblical story. Today, we're going to look at two themes. We're going to look at the Spirit of God, and we're going to look at rest, just as an example of how you can do this. And we cannot get through the entire Bible. I'm so sorry. But we're just going to look at a couple verses to give you an idea of how do you read the Bible in terms of themes and how powerful that could be. Because honestly, that's how we read stories today. We read stories in themes because when you open up the book or a fantasy book or a nonfiction book, they give you the background. They explain to you who the person is and their story and their character and all that information. In the Bible, you really have to read the entire story to fully grasp 
who a person or idea or a place really is and the significance of that in the biblical story. And I'm just telling you, this is where it comes alive. Instead of trying to process all the information, all the characters, just focus on one throughout the entire story. Okay, so we're just gonna jump in and we're gonna talk about the, the Spirit, or some of you know it as Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God is present from the beginning all the way through the end, and we're gonna try to understand a little bit more about who the Spirit of God is, and then we're gonna talk about rest real quick, okay? So you open up your Bibles, Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1, starts here. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and desolate, emptiness, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the, oh wow, second verse, Spirit of the God, Spirit of God, was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then this is what you're gonna do if you try to read in themes. You're just gonna stew on that for a while. Because here's what we do, we just keep reading. Okay, Spirit of God, here's where they were, I'm moving on. No, 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 no. What does this say about the Spirit of God? This is how the biblical authors write. They wanna get a point across to you. And the point they wanna get across to you is where the Spirit of God is and what's going on in the story. Does heaven have it all together? Sure seems like it. Does earth have it all together? Nah, this place that the biblical authors would call the universe, because all they knew was earth. They didn't know universe like we know today. Can't, gotta throw that away because we're contextualizing, we're honoring the culture and the context and the time frame in which they're talking. The earth was chaos. And how do they describe chaos? They talk a lot about waters. Why? because they didn't go very far on water back then. They couldn't cross water. They couldn't go deep down into water. To them, it was a, a, a fear issue. It was chaos. It was a mess. There was weird creatures in the water. And so the best way they knew to communicate this was a crazy, crazy place was depth and waters. But the Spirit of God, was the Spirit of God in the chaos? Okay, thank you. Yeah, this, sorry, that was not rhetorical. The Spirit of God was above the waters. It hovered above the waters. It was present, it was there, but it was better than, it was above, greater than the chaos below. And then you say, okay, well, I'm gonna look up, because I'm understanding the Spirit of God, I'm gonna look up this word. And you can do this on your own. You go to Google and you say, what is the Spirit of God or the Hebrew word for Spirit of God because the Old Testament is a translation. And you go in there and you type it into Google and it comes up with, I think it's like the biblehub.com. Anyways, they pull up uh, a lexicon. Uh, in other words, uh, a way to translate one word to another word, okay? And here's a screenshot of what it looks like when you pull it up. It's the Strong's Concordance or the Strong's Lexicon. Sorry, big words today. Um, I should have thought about how to make this better. But um, anyways, so, and then you start reading and it says ruach, that's the word for spirit in Hebrew or the spirit of God. It says it is, ruach means breath, wind, spirit. Okay, that's interesting. So you go down here and you say, how many times does this word ruach show up in the Old Testament? And air twice, anger once, blast twice, breath 31 times. Whoa, that's interesting. So when I think about God's spirit, I have to think about breath. And you read more and you read more and you read more. And oh, right here, spirit, 76 times. Oh, wow. And then you read more and you hit wind, 98 times. Wind. 
So you take those words and you bundle them together and now you start to have an idea in Hebrew what the author was trying to get at when they talked about spirit. So here's what I want you to do for me real quick. If it's healthy for you to do so online, do it online. It's not weird at all. And in the room, just take a deep breath and hold it in for like three seconds. Here we go, ready? Oh, that was nice. I kind of want to do that again. Let's just do it one more time for my sake, okay? Here we go. What do you feel? Feel more at peace? Some of you do this when you're stressed out, right? Take some deep breaths. Do you feel a little more invigorated now that you got a little extra oxygen in your body, a little more life given to you? If you took 30 seconds and just breathed in, breathed out, you'd feel calmer, more at peace, and I bet you a little more energetic. It's the breath of life. You're starting to get to know the Spirit of God right there. And the biblical authors are saying, hey, when I experience the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God is in me and working through me, that's a little small taste of what the Spirit of God is. You're starting to get an idea of reading a theme. So we better keep going because it's not just one, okay? So then you start reading again. Oh, chapter two, we didn't get very far. Then the Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground and what? Breathed the breath of life into your nostrils. But the thing is, the Hebrew word here for breath of life is a different word. In, in its concern to humanity, it's actually the Hebrew word nefesh. So you put that into your Google and you pops up the next screenshot here of what, what that means. And it's right here. Breath, persons alive, spirit, blast. And you go down here and you start to read all the other verses that have this word nefesh included in them. And it's who breathed, who breathed. But the thing about this one is really interesting. It also has a lot about destruction. All who breathed were utterly destroyed who breathed and he burned. Ooh, that's interesting. It's a lot more destruction, right? In here, breath of God, as a hot wind kindling a flame, destroying wind, a cold wind producing ice. That doesn't sound very friendly. So God's breath of life is coming into you and it's powerful. It can bring the greatest amount of life and power and it could also bring the greatest amount of destruction. It is just straight raw energy and power coming in to human beings. That's a quality of God's spirit. I'm teeing myself up here for the next thing. Genesis chapter three. And now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking. Adam and Eve messed up, didn't listen, and now they're afraid. Very famous little moment in the story. Walking in the, the Lord, of God, Lord God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And you'd read by this and you'd say, oh, that has nothing to do with God's ruach, except it's the word ruach. But we don't really translate it very well in English. But what's the biblical author saying? The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence. And we all, as English readers, think the reason they hid themselves is because, well, they messed up and they're afraid of God. No, no. You know that feeling you get in Iowa when a storm is brewing? What's the first part of a big storm, like a big squall line moving in? What do you feel first? Yeah. It starts getting windy, doesn't it? And the trees start swaying. And you're like, a storm is coming. That's what he's talking about here. That's what the biblical author is trying to get across. 
It's not the cool of the day. It's not just this peaceful thing. It doesn't make sense. You're reading along and now they're afraid in the cool of the day. Why do they need to add that? That's just odd. They added it because it's got the raw power. Something that can take you out and it's brewing and all the trees in the garden are swaying with God's spirit. And you start reading on and guess what? In Noah, the whole flood and the flood waters receding, where's the spirit? Right there, bringing life and death, life and death. The spirit of God is this raw power that brings life and also can take life away, which makes perfect sense because when you are born, the first thing you do is breathe in. And the last thing you'll do on this planet is breathe out. You're starting to get the idea of the spirit of God. Because you're reading it in a theme, in a sense, over a period of story after story after story of how the Spirit of God behaves. And you get far enough along, and then you realize the creative potential that the Spirit of God, when it possessed um, uh, jo- uh, Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat, Joseph could see dreams. And then it went on and possessed another guy. And he could build the Ark of the Covenant, took his creativity to another level. It gave him more life than he could have had on his own. It gave him life. That's the spirit of God. And you say, well, I don't know if I could do that on my own, Taylor, without you navigating us through that. You can. And I'm going to give you some resources to do that before the end of today. I want to talk about rest for a moment just so that you can get this. And I also have one point to make, okay? Genesis chapter 2. Let's say you start reading the book of Genesis or the entire Bible about rest and trying to understand this whole pattern of rest. On the seventh day, God completed his work, work which he had done, and he what? Rested. Rested on the seventh day. Did God need to rest? Could argue no, right? Who needs to rest? We do. And I don't do it enough. We need to rest. And God say on the seventh day, And then you start reading and you get to this next thing in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, right up there with not stealing, not murdering, not committing adultery, honoring the Lord your God, not taking his name in vain, all that good stuff. And out of nowhere, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 big deal. Remember the Sabbath day. What? Right up there with murder? Yeah, right up there with murder. Six days you'll labor. Do all your work. And the seventh day is the Sabbath. What is Sabbath? We've talked about this before. The Hebrew word Shabbat which means to cease. And on the seventh day, you will stop. That feels good, doesn't it? Just to stop. Most of us need that, but we don't take it. Stop. The day of stopping. And you're dedicating that to the Lord your God because you need it. And all the research in the world, scientific research says, (coughs) excuse me, that you need it. You need to rest. You need to take that time off. And then God goes on, he gives other commands. He says, on the seventh year, you need to stop farming. And don't do any farming. Let the land, the land that I have created, God said, just rest. Let's let it rest. And then the seventh of the seventh year, or the 49th year, in that year, it's a big year, you forgive all the debts, set all the slaves free. Everybody just stops and resets and honors me. It's powerful. The power of rest and restoration. The practical implication of this is that 
we don't stop. We keep going, but we need to rest. We need to take time and spend it with the Lord. We need to take time away from all the demands on our time and be restored because God, God wants to give you life. That's the essence of his spirit. He doesn't want that to stop. He doesn't want it to end. And at some point, you just have to trust that even in the season of rest, it's all going to work out. So practical implication for me. There's so much in this sermon series, sermon today. Practical inf- implication for me is um, I was kindly reminded by our leadership team that this is my seventh year <clears throat> pastoring infused church. Seven. Okay? So that means what should you probably do? You should probably take a time of rest, which is actually built into our, our kind of policy, and that is to take a season of rest. Um, so in the middle of July, I'm going to go on sabbatical, which means, this is going to be so hard. This means I'm going to cut myself off from the church that we started seven years ago. That means I'm going to turn off, I'm going to turn, uh, you hear me, I am going to turn off, I commit to you today, I will turn off my email. I will not answer your phone calls. Unless, well, yeah, I won't answer your phone calls. I'm not going to talk about church stuff. I'm going to disappear. And I'm going to rest for two, a little over two and a half, or two and a half months. Okay? Thank you. Wow, that was unexpected. Yes. <clears throat> yes. And going to focus on honoring God, resting, restoring, and establishing more of a healthy life in my life. Um, because many of you know that the pastoral position doesn't stop. You know, it can start as early as like 5.30 in the morning and, and goes quite late sometimes. Like last night, what was that, like 12. Anyways, and, um, and, and I'm not discounting all of you being there as well, but it's important to disconnect and reset. And so I've been challenged to do that. And so during my time away, um, some great leaders from Infused Church and around the state will be filling the preaching void, and um, our leadership team will be pre- uh, fulfilling, our leadership team and ministry leader team will be filling all the like operational stuff to keep the church going, um, and uh, that'll be starting in the middle of July. And so the two things that I wanted to tell you about that, and this is where this all comes together in a really practical way, is number one, God's spirit gives life, not me. The spirit has given me life so that I can share it with you. But you receive not my word, but the words through the spirit. And when you do, amazing things happen. I am temporary. He is permanent. And if you keep reading God's story, you get to that Joseph story that I just mentioned, and he interprets dreams, and then they make the Ark of the Covenant, and they do all these incredible things. All these incredible things. To me, that's the potential that you have as well. Not just me. It's not just reserved for me. Because our temptation is when the leaders are away, we just try to get by and wait until Taylor comes back. Just wait, everybody. He'll be back soon. You know, kind of that kind of thing. But the church is not a building or a place. It's the people. Yeah, for a very good reason. Because the Spirit of God could be and exists, can, in a place, but it is much more powerful in its temple, which are the people. Amazing people, might I add. And this is the opportunity that you all have as a church to jump in and serve 
to give, to invite, to participate in the body, to make it live, to breathe your life into it, and together you will give it life. Whether that be through serving somewhere, in the band, or production, or kids, or middle school, or first impressions, or community events, whether it be through your generosity to fund the opportunities that we have to do and invest in, in the church, whether it be to invite your friends like Devin and Caitlin were talking about, you have the ability to make the church bigger and better than it is and stronger than it is even with me here. In fact, I think you actually have more potential to do it when I step out of the way because then you're not dependent on me, a very temporary thing, to move forward. Because for me, and this is my big realization, and I will practically realize it on sabbatical, is, and it's taken me seven years to really realize this, okay? That you can farm and work the field as much as you want. And even when you let it rest, God will still make it grow. And that's kind of the point of the seven-year rest is it's still gonna grow. Because what's God say? Hey, just go out and harvest whatever comes out of the ground. Don't plant. Just go harvest whatever seeds and things pop up. Because why? Because I'm still gonna make it grow. Even in rest, I'll still take care of you. And that's what I'd encourage you to do as well is even in seasons of rest for other, time, other people, I bet you it can still grow. And I think you're very capable of doing that. Okay, practical things. If you wanna read the Bible um, through themes, uh, here's a scan link. You can grab your phone and uh, scan it. I should probably have checked it. Hopefully it takes you to the right place. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it'll take you to the Bible Project app. And you download that app, and you download it, and along the bottom on the right-hand side it says Journey. And the journey takes you through all these different themes in the Bible, a few chapters at a time. And I'd really encourage you to do it. The first one actually is on the Spirit of God. That's why I chose the Spirit of God. So to you, you're going to be three things into it. I think there's like nine that they cover, nine stops in the Spirit of God in the first few chapters of Genesis. And then they move on to a different theme, and they help you to understand the power um, regarding themes. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is to submit your questions because next week I'm just going to do a Q&A. So your questions about the Bible, <clears throat> your concerns, your doubts and everything, don't hesitate to email me, get a hold of me, send it to our, uh, on Messenger, send it to us on Instagram, whatever. Um, you send it to us and um, I will try to work through as many of the questions as possible because others of you have already sent me questions and so I, I want to get to those as well. Okay, and so really encourage you to do that and then next week I'm just going to do a bunch of Q&A stuff. Okay, so it'd be really fun and, and hopefully relevant to you. So those are going to be two ways in which you can jump into this practically. All right, we're going to have a child dedication. Let's pray though real quick um, and ask God to help us as we work through what the Bible is in our lives. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you have given this text Preserved it for thousands and thousands of years so that we can read it today. But help us to recognize what it is. It's a story of people like us who have experienced and known you, known your work, known your transform transformational power, known you when we mess up and known you when we've done great works because that's our lives. Good moments and bad. Moments when we followed, moments when we've doubted. 
So Lord, help us to recognize that this story is so relevant to us if we honor it for what it is. A story about you, a story that leads to Jesus and a story that helps us understand our relationship with you and can help us to navigate life as you intended it to be lived. Help us to sometimes go the extra, a lot of times actually, just go the extra mile to really intentionally learn, even if it means reading the Bible and only getting through two verses or four like we do today, but that we seek ultimately understanding not to be able to say we just read it. That we seek a deeper relationship with you, not just checking a box. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be wise with your word, honor how you've interacted with us over millennia so we can take it and get to know you better and live our lives better. In your name I pray, amen.